0: I would like to welcome uh, someone I have not talked to in a few years, but we used to have uh, an old soccer podcast together. This is the editor-in-chief and analytics writer for Real Browns fans, Jordan Cohen. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, Just kind of navigating through this time of no sports, uh, (laughs) trying to to figure out exactly how to approach things, especially with the Browns. And they're, I guess, interesting scenario they seem to find themselves in.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think there's always like a lot of variance that goes in every year, right? Because we only play sixteen games, so sometimes like the best team doesn't really win at all, and sometimes even really good teams miss the playoffs, and sometimes really bad teams make the playoffs. Um, and then added on to all that is this idea that we don't even know if we're gonna have a real off season.
0: Yeah, that that could prevent uh, or provide some problems with installing a new offense, and add in the fact that uh, you know Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham are recovering from surgery. That just there seems to be a lot of obstacles they're gonna find themselves running into that I don't think a lot of people necessarily are um, considering at this moment in time.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. I mean, I think that I so I mean one of the things about last so I was never a believer in Freddie Kitchens. Like I, I actually. Got. I had to delete a series of tweets I made when they hired Freddie because the responses were just so overwhelming that like my phone was blowing up. And so I just was just like, I'm just going to delete the tweet and not deal with it. But I thought Freddie was... I, and frankly, I would have thought the same thing about Stefanski if they had hired him last season. That You're hiring a guy that does not have experience installing an offense. And then you're asking him to be a head coach. And so I think it's a little bit better this year because Stefanski now has done that. He had a year of doing that. He he had a team that went to the playoffs, so I think that'll be better. I also I, I am more comfortable with installing an outside zone scheme offense, and so like we can talk about this uh, whenever. But one of the things about the outside zone scheme is rather than blocking players, you block zones, right? And so for a lot of offensive linemen, that's easy, right? If there's a player in front of him, you in front of you you block him but i think what makes it a little bit easier is once you get the outside zone down you could run the same play from 12 different formations and three different ways right so you could run a play as just a run you could run it as a jet sweep or you could play action it Mm -hmm. or you could bootleg it and i think that makes it once the players get that system down i think it'll be much quicker so i'm actually if we were going to do anything when you have to install a new offense after this like weird period of covid I, this would be kind of the type of system i would be in favor of yeah and i
0: i'm i'm on board with that you know this this system that seems to be getting or gaining popularity among the league so it's not just you know a few couple you know a couple teams running it there are several teams running some version of this so necessarily finding players to run it properly isn't necessarily the issue it's finding good players to run it which is where you run into the where more people are trying to dip into the same pool of players um but one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today was just kind of discuss you know the likes and dislikes of what they've done this offseason you know hiring wise and uh roster wise and it seems like hiring wise you are in favor of Stefanski compared to what Freddie Kitchens was last year
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so again, to be completely upfront, I don't think vertical passing offenses like what Arians runs and what uh, Todd Haley ran and what Freddie ran. I, I don't think or what Cliff Kingsbury is running now. I, I think there's a limit on how successful they can be if you don't have top tier talent. Right. Because you're basically asking every position from quarterback to offensive line to receiver to be athletic wonders and to be able to play at every play at 100%. And I, I just I thought it was asking too much of a young team where we didn't really know what we had. Um, I think Stefanski's system, it, honestly, it, the thing about outside zone schemes is they make life much easier for the quarterback um, because it makes play action just... Uh, your pass plays and your run plays look exactly the same. Uh, the lineman block, the same people. They move in the same way. There's the same pre-snap motion. And so teams have no idea what's coming. And that's going to make Baker's life much easier. So, I mean, what do you think? Like, do you like this Stefanski hire? Now,
0: at the time, when when we were coming down between the two coaching hires, uh, if my, my options were Josh McDaniels and Kevin Stefanski, I was in the Josh McDaniels camp only because I did not like the optics of what was going on with the front office and what was happening with Paul T. Podesta, because a lot of people were mad that someone else did a power grab and they got all mad about it, but it seemed like Paul Di was doing something similar and nobody was criticizing him for it. And I'm just like, we're literally watching this exact same thing. So I was just in the favor of just cleaning the whole slate clean, just wiping, wiping it all out, starting over from the bottom mm-hmm. because not that the way that they're going to handle things, isn't going to work. It's just, I think if they were going to approach it in this style, Essentially, bringing back the band or getting the, ba- right. the band back together was not necessarily the way I would have
1: gone. Yeah, I mean, I always thought the funniest thing was the reports I had read on Twitter. I think Dustin Fox tweeted about this was that the Browns didn't want to hire somebody that wanted to tear the whole thing down, and there was kind of this question like to Josh McDonald's like, who are you to say? we have to tear this whole thing down. And I guess my view was always, who is he? Like, even if I agree that Josh McDaniels was not a successful head coach and has been an assistant on this staff that doesn't really produce great head coaches. Like, even if you believe all of that, what does it matter? Like, you you don't, you or I could have gone to that interview and had just as much justification to say this whole thing needs to be torn down. Like the team hasn't been successful in 20 years.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. That's,
0: that's very true. I mean, the, the one, I guess, thing to to come by and the reason why I was at least interested in McDaniels compared to, let's say, some of the other Patriots assistants that have come out and become coaches and been spectacular failures is that he went back to New England after leaving. You you yep. can't say that about Mangini. You can't say that about Cornell. It's just once those guys leave the nest, they're not welcome back. Belichick brought right. him back, and I there has to be a
1: reason for it, and that always intrigued me. Well, and so I think... So to be clear, I also I have not seen evidence. People keep saying it, but all the reports don't suggest this. What the reports suggest is McDaniels was more than willing to work with the Podesta and the analytics staff. Um, Everybody's saying no, he wasn't willing to work with them. That's like they're like Mary Kay Cabot, Terry Pluto, Jason Lloyd. None of them said that. They said all three of them said he was willing to work with the Podesta. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that was the reason why they didn't hire him. I also think there's like a lot of research, like again from an analytics standpoint that looks at what types of coaches are most successful. and generally speaking, young coaches that have been with the same team for a long period of time that are on their second head coaching gig are the most successful. and McDaniels checked every one of those boxes. Mm-hmm. He's not old, he's been with the same team for a long time, and this would be his second second opportunity. Um, I, I think Stepanski checked most of those boxes, though, too. And when it came down to those two, I think it was still very clear. They had a lot of things in common. They, what people don't realize is the Patriots basically shifted over to an outside zone scheme this pat, really the past two years, but especially this year. Mm-hmm. Without the receiving talent, they went full outside zone. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was very clear what they were looking for. I think that's why a guy like McCarthy... Or uh, the Bills' offensive coordinator. He was the Browns' offensive coordinator for a while. Uh, Dable. Yes. Um, Why those guys didn't get much more than a cursory look. The one name I didn't like was um, the 49ers' defensive coordinator. Robert Sala? Yeah, I don't know why we're still talking about hiring defensive coordinators as head coaches.
0: Some guys prove, or some of the more successful coaches in the NFL have, have a defensive background yeah um you know the perfect example someone we're just talking about bill belichick right right Um, no that's
2: fair that's fair
0: and it's the the issue i guess people have and this was part of the reasons why the browns ended up hiring freddie kitchens to be their head coach was they don't want to bring in a defensive coordinator have someone who's the to be their head coach or someone with a defensive background to be the head coach have an offensive coordinator who becomes the hot candidate and leave So what they were trying to do was skip that part and just hire the offensive
1: coordinator. Right, right. No, exactly. No, and I agree with that. And, like, to be fair, I actually, like, I liked the idea of bringing in McDaniels, but Stefanski was kind of my top guy um, just because I watched a lot of Vikings last season, Mm -hmm. and I really liked that Kubiak-style offense. I think we've seen that when Kyle Shanahan was the Browns' offensive coordinator, we have seen it at a few other points, too. They started using it, and it would die out because the offensive coordinator would leave or the coaching staff would get fired. I really happen to like that scheme, especially, like, I, I know Browns fans don't necessarily want to admit this. It's very unclear where Baker is going to end up. I mean, the most likely world right now is that he's a Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo-level guy. So a guy that's good enough, you will win games with him. He can be your starting quarterback for a long time. And he could even probably win you a Super Bowl. But the problem is, like, that's just where he is based off the information we have. It's also possible Baker becomes like a Pat Mahomes type. And it's also possible Baker becomes like Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know. And so what I think about this scheme that it does so well is, if it turns out Baker is like a Blake Bortles or even like a Derek Carr, then you can still survive and make the playoffs this year.
0: Yeah, and one thing that they did this offseason was they signed Case Keenum. And I remember, I don't remember who had the video, but someone had a video basically saying that Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum are very much alike in their playing style. And I retweeted it and with quote tweeted and said, Browns fans don't want to hear this, but he's mostly right here. I don't remember who posted the video, but the the two quarterbacks are very similar. Yep. Um, Baker has a stronger arm than Case Keenum. And he's got uh, a bigger personality, but outside of that, they're
1: relatively the same person. Well, and what people don't like, it's so weird to me because I remember that season where case Keenum in Minnesota just was playing like a bat out of hell. And people were like, Oh, well it was one good season, but I mean, he was pretty good in Denver a few years ago too. And it was kind of that same system. And case Keenum is not going like, I don't think case Keenum can be Ryan Tannehill. Um, but I do think if Baker looks really bad, like really really bad, or it's issues where maybe he looks all right but he doesn't know the offense or he's staring down receivers, I do think it's very possible that Keenum comes in. I don't think that's why Keenum was signed. I think they were very aware that we were incredibly lucky last year that Baker didn't get hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and they knew they needed backup quarterback.
0: I, I do think I do uh, agree with that. Although I have said before, the length of Keenum's contract I don't think is an accident. Because no, if, it's because if, the, if things if things go off the rails and he just looks absolutely lost or bad, or he just like can't pick up what's going on here, yeah, and they find themselves in a situation similar to what Chicago's in, and they decline that fifth year option. Yeah, and this is just total nightmare scenario, but. When you're looking at that, what year five would be, Keenum would still be in the final year of his deal, and yep. if they were to take a quarterback, he would be able to do what they're probably hoping Keenum does
1: for Baker Mayfield now, right. then. Right. I totally agree. And, I mean, this, I guess, can help us transition a little bit, but what one thing I loved about this offseason is they have removed Baker's ability to say, it's not my fault, or fans' ability to say, it's not Baker's fault, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, offensive line is pretty much fixed. Yeah, And, like, it, it's pretty much fixed. I know you'll have a rookie left tackle and probably Wyatt Teller at right guard who aren't great. But it, the offensive line will be good enough that I don't think that's a criticism anymore, especially in this game. They're going to have the best running back room in the NFL, period. They're, I mean, they, they have three really good receivers. I don't love Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I also fully acknowledge that like, he's a guy that, because he is so athletically gifted – could play a very va- valuable role his first year. Like it could be a little bit like that brashard Perryman role, where you just basically have him run one route every play, mm-hmm. um, and take the top off the defense. So I, I think in the tight end room also is one of the. Not it's not the best, but it's one of the best in the NFLs in the NFL. And so Baker doesn't have excuses anymore.
0: No, and he and that's what they needed to do because each year there was something that you could be pointed to to be like. Baker's not playing good because of Hugh Jackson doesn't know what he's doing or Baker's not playing good because Greg Robinson stinks or Desmond Harrison stinks or Chris Hubbard is uh you know a swinging gate it's just (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean so what we have here is they've made it so it's on you to succeed and I think that's where they needed to to put themselves so they can
1: identify whether or not they actually have a quarterback right right no and I mean To be fair, Tennessee did the exact same thing with Marcus Mariota, right? Mm -hmm. They built like that offensive line was probably the best in the NFL last year. They had a phenomenal defense, and they actually had a very underweighted, underrated wide receiver room. um, And Mariota stunk, and they threw in Tannehill, and Tannehill looked good. Yeah, Tannehill won games by throwing 15 times a game. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean that's this offense though. Like I think. This team will look very similar to that, especially if Baker doesn't look good to start um, like that's the offense. The offense can win either way. It, it is at its most efficient when you could win with play action passing. But the thing is, once you get a lead, then you can hold it because you have a good <laughs> run. And I mean, that's what people don't realize about the 49ers. People are like, oh, well, Jimmy G only threw like eight times in the game against the Packers. Yeah. Because like two of them were for touchdowns, and one of them was a fifty-yard catch that didn't go for a touchdown. Like, that's all you need. Once you get the fourteen-zero lead, then you just run the ball every play, and you eat a clock.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I think that to me is definitely going to be a something to watch. But I'm—I mean, what do you think? Like I, I have not seen one free agent signing where I've been thinking like, oh, I don't like that signing, or oh, I think that si- si- signing's overhyped. Like everything seems fair and reasonable
0: to me I mean the the only one or I am trying to temper expectations for people and you know someone who I was just like okay they signed him on the offensive side of the ball at least is Rashard Higgins honestly yeah because
2: I you know he's he's
0: he's the third receiver um in an offensive scheme that they probably won't use three receivers a whole bunch and I think at the end of the day, he's someone who's you know an average receiver, and I've used the word before, I'm going to use
1: it again, replaceable. Yep. No, I totally agree. I Yeah, I thought the kind of excitement over Higgins. So I guess this is what it gets to. Stefanski's goal, and he said this last year, Shanahan has said the exact same thing. His goal is to prevent teams from going in nickel or dime defense. Um, because, and the analytics back this up, when you can go into nickel and dime, when you can reduce the amount of like run stoppers, so to speak, you have on the field,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it is, it becomes very easy to defend the passing game. Um, and the goal here, right. Is to make it so they can't go to nickel or dime. And like Higgins is just this perfect receiver for letting teams go to nickel or dime because he's not like that strong. He, he's not going to be so much bigger than a sa- another safety that you're going to need to have a linebacker out there. And so they're going to flip into those defensive personnel. I, I really think they're going to be running. I mean, you may see 11 personnel 50% of the time. Yeah, maybe. I, I think Stefanski's going to run a lot of 12, a lot of 22, some 21. And I think he'll even run, like, no running back, two tight end sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just I, – I don't understand. So I was in favor of drafting a receiver Because I think to really make this scheme work, you need some guy that could be like a gadget guy that you get the ball out in space and he makes he generates yards out of. I don't think so I think Kareem Hunt is gonna underwhelm a lot of people this year. I I don't think he's gonna see the field a lot because he is not a zone running back. Like he's just not. He doesn't he doesn't read the field well. Like where he was best in Kansas City is when they were using him on like sweep type plays where it was one read. He had to make mm-hmm. one read. Um, I, I think Chubb's going to... I think you will see Kareem Hunt when they already have a lead. Um, I don't think you will see him in close games. The the, uh,
0: the only time I really see if they have a lead or if they are way behind and they have to pass yeah. more because I like yeah. Nick Chubb, not great in the pass game.
1: No, well, and I think Nick Chubb... So what people don't realize is Nick Chubb is a actually pretty decent blocker, but he's not a good pass catcher. Um. And I think if you're looking for a running back to block, that's why they traded for Andy Yanovich.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so if they're looking for a running back to catch, it's going to be Hunt, right, as you said. And so I think that's fair. I think like games where they can get a lead early and then games where you just need to catch up and so you're going to pass the ball a lot. I think you're right.
0: Now, is there anything on the defensive side of the ball that they did or didn't do that you like or disliked?
1: So the defensive side of the ball is where I am... Most concerned, I. The That's defense, la- yeah. I mean, the we have not had a good defense in five years, and like people were upset about letting Joe Schobert go. I thought Joe Schobert was the most overrated player on the team two years in a row. I mean, you're talking about an off-ball linebacker that was not great against the run game, um, and really his value was being in the right place at the right time. So he was good. I, the team was terrible. The defense was terrible with him on and off the field. And so I, I'm worried this front office clearly does not value linebackers. Like it's actually surprising how little they value linebackers. Um, but I don't know that like, I love Denzel Ward. I, I to this day will say, I think Denzel Ward is a top 10 cornerback in the NFL. I think, I mean, even last season, second half of the year after he came back from injury, he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem, right? Injury. And Greedy was not good no. last year. <laughs> uh, the guy they signed from Buffalo, Kevin johnsons he's a guy like Denzel. Like, he's really good when he's healthy, but he's not very healthy. And beyond him, you have Terrence Mitchell, who they're talking about trading, which is mind-boggling to me.
0: I completely forgot he wasn't even on the roster uh, up yeah. to this moment in time. He's very, he's very forgettable. He, no,
1: he's very forgettable. But I mean, who's your backup cornerback? Like Denzel Ward and Kev or Kevin Johnson. One of them going to get hurt. Uh, I would bet on both of them getting hurt, honestly. Yeah, and so so we have no backups really in the secondary beyond Terrence Mitchell, who I think is like fine. He's fine for backup. Um,
0: Sub package guy every once in a while. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and but then like when you talk about the safety room too, I mean, Yikes. are they <laughs> they're going to start Grant Delpit who I think will be a very good safety at some point in his NFL career. Safeties as rookies struggle. Um, And then you're talking the other safety is probably going to be Carl Joseph or Andrew Sandejo. It it
0: better be Carl Joseph because Andrew Sendejo is someone who should only be in on sub packages at this point in his career.
1: If that. I mean, Sendejo reminds me of Chris Hubbard, right? He's a great guy to have as a backup. Mm -hmm. He's a great guy to have as a backup. Spot starter if you need, but... Uh, yeah, I and then beyond him, you have Sheldrick Redwine, who I actually thought looked more like a kind of just box safety last year, which you need. I mean, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, I just think the secondary is awful. It, it, they have no linebackers who can cover.
0: Now, Matt question Wilson, f- question but, for you: Joe Schobert's contract with Jacksonville—five
1: years, fifty-three million—with a potential out two years in. Would, I wouldn't. I, I no. I, I think. He, I, I just, I, he's not Luke Keekley. Everybody's like, oh, he's a poor man's Luke Keekley. Well, yeah, poor man's Luke Kuechly is an average player. Like, Luke Keekley was so, Luke Kuechly did so much on the field that I just don't think Schubert did. I mean.
0: That's fair. I mean, I, I'm not even looking, I'm not, I've never even considered him to even be a, a poor man's Luke Keekley If he's just, uh, you know, a guy who was able to elevate the the overall talent level of the defense. And he was the guy making all of those adjustment calls, too. So you've lost yes, that guy. No, no, so that's going. also very valuable. So if you I, consider I, that over five years, and if it doesn't work out two years in, you could say, see ya? It's yeah, kind of hard I to think, say no.
1: I, I So where I kind of lie is I, I think that the Browns' defensive goal should be to be in sub-packages most of the time. Like be in four two five or even like a dime look. Because if you can do that, you're, it's really effective where you want that kind of third linebacker or where you want that extra linebacker on the field is when you run up against like a 49ers or this year we're going I I think we play the Eagles who do kind of like a lot of these big packages like the 12 personnel stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think you absolutely will miss Joe Schober in those games where he you need somebody to cover the tight end I, I mean if you look at the AFC North Pittsburgh doesn't use a lot of tight ends Baltimore, you can't even have a lot of linebackers out there, anyways, because Lamar Jackson's just faster than they are. Mm-hmm. And Cincinnati, I, everybody said this guy was going to come in and run the outside zone scheme, but he ran much more of like what McVay did with a lot of eleven personnel last year. So I think, like, I, I don't know, I, I am good not spending that money on Joe Schobert if it meant you could get so, like somebody else, like a Carl Joseph. Um, do i know that's what happened no and that's what's frustrating right mm-hmm. that we don't i mean for a team that didn't want to spend on linebackers i'm good with that like that's fine you would at least expect them to have spent that money trying to get somebody else like even if it was a uh jadavian Clowney type guy um and I mean, he's it feels just like a, he's just an edge rusher guy though i mean yeah but i'm okay with that right like
0: I'm okay I, with him in, in in the context of they signed Jadavia and Clowney, then get rid of Olivier Vernon type of situation.
1: You know what I mean? No, and that's fair, right? I, but my point, bigger, my bigger point, is you're really talking about, in the first two years, I think it's like $13 million a year, and then it declines in value, which is why it's easy to get out of for Showbert. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think linebackers are fairly replaceable, and I think there's going to be certain games where you miss them, especially this season, but I think the team is trying to focus on, I mean, and I think this is fair. I don't actually think the team thinks they are a playoff team this year.
0: God, um, I hope not.
1: I, I really don't. I, I, I don't. Every, yeah, I think every way they've operated signals, they felt the team last year may have been even worse than a 6-10 team, which I think is possible. There was a few, get, like that Bills game, that Brown should not have won. No. I mean there, they, got, they they got lucky. The the fact that they walloped Baltimore as bad as they did is a complete yeah. mystery so I was actually to this at day. That, I was at that game. And it That's was That's where your tough. Twitter profile picture's from, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was at that game. And it was very clear Baltimore just and Baltimore really early in the season kind of struggled with going up against nickel packages because all of a sudden Lamar Jackson wasn't the fastest guy in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um and so they, they improved on that. But I, I think yeah, I, I don't think this front office thinks— I think the reason they're willing to start a rookie at left tackle is because they don't think it's a playoff team. I think what they do think is that this is an offense where we can evaluate Baker Mayfield. And I think that's the total goal for the season. It's a,
0: it's a very good starting point because their linebackers yeah. stink.
1: Yeah, and I think—so but so I think they know that, right? I think they kind of have gone—they're going into the season acknowledging the defense is going to be really bad, but we're going to have a lot of money and we can spend it next off season, and I think that's probably why they didn't go after Joe Schobert. I think that's probably why they haven't gone after Jadavian Clowney um, or if they have they have not come to an agreement but I, I don't know I, I'm just kind of I, I'm cautiously optimistic in that so when I did my modeling for last season and I posted this on Twitter I had the Browns low end at 4 and 12 and their high end at 12 and 4 I think this year it's much more compact. I think you're talking like six and ten to eleven and five. I don't again assuming there's a full season and everything else. I, I just because at the end of the day, a good offense can control games. Um, and if your secondary can stay healthy, then you're taught like that's the world in where I think playoffs become possible. If Baker Mayfield looks like a Kirk Cousins level quarterback or Jimmy Garoppolo level quarterback. And your defense stays healthy. I think then you could be talking about playoffs, but that's a very unlikely world.
0: I I do agree. It's a very unlikely world. And it's mostly because I have zero faith in that defense to to stop uh, the opponents on such a consistent basis. And you pair that with the style of offense that they want to run. It doesn't really necessarily mesh all that well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're strat- – so I love Joe Woods as a defensive coordinator. I think that was brilliant. Everybody's like, oh, he runs the same scheme as Wilkes, And so there's actually an article on Real Browns fans written by one of our writers that talks about it. That couldn't be further from the truth. He – yes, he is a z- mainly zone coverage guy. But where Wilkes ran cover three, which is similar to what the 49ers did last year, mm-hmm. where you're basically asking your corners to cover one side of the field, Woods comes from the Zimmer school. So Woods was kind of like one of Zimmer's protégés and he does a lot more like quarters or kind of cover for press man stuff where you're basically going to have Denzel Ward out in man coverage.
0: And that's perfect because that's where, that's where I think he's better honestly.
1: No, no. He, and I think he like Denzel Ward's just a good corner, but yeah, I mean he is so gifted physically that he's just the guy you want out in man coverage. I also think this team thought last year they were just going to generate a lot of turnovers. But then they fired Greg Williams, whose defense specializes in generating turnovers.
0: And they hired Steve Wilkes, who doesn't.
1: Right. And so I think this year they're going to you're going to see more exotic blitz packages. Um, It's not going to be Greg Williams level, but I think it's going to be trying to get pressure on the quarterback a little bit more frequently to make him make mistakes. And so I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I do too. I again, defense is going to be bad. I think the team is probably going to be five hundred. The only world though, and like again, we can talk about this a little bit. I think the AFC North is a lot worse than people think it is. Um, like Baltimore. So what? Like PF has done a few studies on this, and, and generally, like from people I've talked to, this is kind of the view of scheme, which is that. Scheme, like a unique scheme, is really useful the first time everybody sees it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it beats teams down. So that's why, like, McVeigh two years ago in L.A. was just unstoppable. Um, But what ends up happening is eventually, like, schemes lose their value. And so, like, why a guy like Kyle Shanahan hasn't lost value is... Everybody talks about he does outside zone. Well, that's true, but he also does a lot of duo. He does even some power runs. Like, he can he generates offensive plays like he runs a ton on a pistol um that are it's unique game to game and i think that the baltimore ravens aren't going to have that and i think teams are going to adjust so do i think baltimore is going to be a good team yeah i do i don't think they will be nearly as good as they were last year i think you're talking 10 and 6 11 and 5 and I uh, still think that wins the division. Honestly, I do. No, I 100 percent agree. I think that wins the division. Um, Pittsburgh, I think, sucks. Like that team wasn't good last year. They lucked out in a lot of games, and Maybe. you're bringing back Ben Roethlisberger, who, again, like kind of dirty little secret, hasn't looked good the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Cincinnati's roster is all young rookies or not good veterans, and AJ Green. And so I I just, I I don't think the AFC North is that good. I just, I don't know that the Browns are going to win. I mean, the Browns schedule is tough. It's it's brutal. (laughs) Eagles, Cowboys are two losses. Like, straight. Those are two losses. Oh, yeah. Uh, Giants in New York is not going to be an easy win. Um,
0: That's going to be a complete week of distractions for Odell Beckham Jr. Let's just get that out of the way
1: right now. Right, right. No, it's going to be, I mean, that's going to be a difficult game. Generally speaking, you'd still have to play Baltimore twice. They're a good team. Um, And so I I think the schedule really is why I'm more worried about the defense. Like if it was last year's schedule, I would actually feel pretty confident in saying this Browns team can make the playoffs. Um, And that's why I think the team also is probably worse than its record suggests last year. Like that schedule was bad Mm -hmm. Um, and they still only won six games. Yeah, the, so the, your just, schedule's not friendly. Yeah, <laughs> and all. like, yeah, I'm actually like, and this probably, I hope this has come through. I am super optimistic about the offense this year. Like, I think they brought in the right players, both for depth but also for winning games. I, I think they're going to score a lot of points.
0: I think I, just, I think they have the potential.
1: Yeah. I, I just I my concern
0: for their for them from an offensive standpoint. Uh, pretty much lies in the fact that we don't know when they're going to come back to being able to practice in person. Right. And the fact that Landry and Beckham are more likely than not, not going to be participating. So right. uh, in a post I just posted yesterday, uh, I said mm-hmm. that Rashard Higgins is going to have a fairly low, large role this off season it's because the other two guys aren't going to be there. And yeah, so I, having yeah, some sort of chemistry point. with Baker is going to be key in installing the offense.
1: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I really, I I think, so I've said this. I never thought the Browns were going to trade Odell Beckham this offseason. Nor did I think they were going to move on from Jarvis Landry. With that said, if this season starts out weird, um, like the offense isn't clicking or Odell looks kind of like he's not getting the ball again, I could very easily see them trading one of, if not both, of Odell and Jarvis midseason.
0: I'm on the on in the camp of if you trade one, you got to trade them both because those two guys are best friends, and if you trade one, you're just going to make the other one upset.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah. I I kind of, I mean, I would be more confident in trading Odell and keeping Jarvis than the inverse, Um, like significantly so because one thing about Jarvis that I think is very clear is he does want to win at any cost. Like he's just a kind of a leader out there. So I'm not as worried about him, although I still think then that off season you would have to move on. But it like it seems clear to me and I don't I mean, how do you feel about the future of this roster, right? So it's great now, but in two years you're not going to be able to keep like Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham. Jarvis Landry and I did. I think I mentioned Baker, yeah. So those seven players are either going to be up for big contracts or on big contracts. You're not going to be able to keep all seven of them.
0: Well, I think there's a couple guys you mentioned there that. Um, well, at least one of them. I don't think will be here beyond this uh, upcoming season. That's Cream Hunt. Yeah, fair. I, he. I think he's gone either way. If he's good or yep. bad, he doesn't come back. Yeah. Um. I think the problem they have is with the pass catchers. Uh, because yeah. they have three guys making a ton of money between Hooper, Landry, and Beckham. And yeah. you, you, we all know from the analytics perspective of the front office, it's going to be hard to justify uh, paying three guys that catch the ball a lot of money when they're running a run-based offense.
1: Right. And,
0: right. Um, you know, I know some people have been trying to run Jarvis Landry out of town ever since he got here um, <laughs> on Twitter yeah. because yeah, guess, he's quote-unquote yeah. inefficient. Yeah. But I I view him as someone that he can he can adapt to whatever offense that they're running. We've seen him in two different offenses. We've seen him in a different offense down in Miami. Yeah. He's someone that he has a skill set that no matter the offense that they're running, it can work.
1: Yeah, and he actually like what I think there's confusion about and so there's a few guys on Twitter um so Pete Smith who I actually think is really yeah, overrated really informative i think misunderstands what the numbers say about jarvis landry yes jarvis landry is a y receiver and x receivers inefficient that he doesn't generate enough yardage is a slot receiver jarvis landry is incredibly efficient Mm -hmm. um and i my problem there though is how many slot guys are you gonna have on the field because you can have him and one tight end Uh, Or even two tight ends that all kind of target that middle of the field. But, like, are you then going to have Higgins on the field at some point? Like, if you trade Odell? um, Because then all of a sudden it's going to be the problem we had two years ago where you have to sign a Brashard Perriman off the street just to have a guy that runs down the field.
0: Which is kind of... um, Not that I didn't agree with the signing of Austin Hooper because I think he's a good player. It's just... I feel they could have utilized the mon- the money they're using to pay Austin Hooper elsewhere, so mm-hmm. they didn't. They didn't have this particular problem that we're disc- discussing right now. Yes, yeah. is it just seems like yeah, short sighted tight end. Kevin Stefanski likes tight ends. Let's get the best one available. Well, yeah. future problems.
1: Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so though, again, I am right, and, and the team I think rightfully is saying that. We'll worry about the future when it's the future. And I get that. I get, like, you want to bring in guys, too, that are great scheme fits. And that's, like, the right thing to do, right? The worst thing to have is guys that can't play whatever scheme the coach is going to run. And everybody says, oh, the NFL is full of coaches that don't have to run a particular scheme. I'm sorry, that's just not true. Like, you have Andy Reid and Doug Peterson and then, to a certain degree, Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Beyond those guys, most NFL coaches bring in a scheme, at least on one side of the ball, usually on two. Um, and so, like, yes, you had McDaniels kind of transition the offense, but going to like more of a zone-based offense from what they were running, like that college spread system, isn't that significant of a change. Uh, McDaniels has a, his flavor. like, He kind of runs the same thing, too. And the worst thing you can do is sign players that don't fit in that scheme. At the same time, we don't know that is going to be good. No, we don't. <laughs> I mean, if this team goes four and twelve this year, then what do you do? And I, I know there's questions, well, like, why did they go four and twelve, et cetera, et cetera, right? So like if Baker gets hurt and then Odell gets hurt, like what happened to the 49ers a few years ago, mm-hmm. okay, four and twelve makes sense. Like you don't fire Stefanski. If they go four and twelve because Baker sucks and the offense looks bad. Then you're firing Stefanski, and then you have to hire somebody else. And you basically have built a roster, or at least on offense, of scheme fits.
0: Which is why I'm not necessarily always someone to be full gung-ho about. He fits the scheme. I'm like, get me a good football player that can adapt to scheme. Because a good yeah. coach can adapt a player yeah. to a scheme. Yeah. Give me a player that can adapt.
1: and, right. and that's I, that's someone like Landry, honestly. Yeah. Right, I, so I was going to say that I actually think a lot of the players we have, like I think Jedrick Wills is that, like Jedrick Wills is going to be a good left, good tackle. I think he could be a good left tackle. There's kind of like Brett Coleman had a video about it, and to me that was really convincing that Jedrick Wills has all the ability to be a left tackle, and that where Jedrick Wills struggles is areas like it's equal on both ends. Like it, it, it's not going to matter if he's on the right or left. I think Conklin is another guy who. He's just a good right tackle. Like, Conklin, I think he's going to be best in a scheme where he can use his agile kind of ability to succeed, but he's going to be a good right tackle no matter what. So they have guys like that. I don't think Austin Hooper is one of those guys. No, um, I think Hooper, Yeah, Hooper is a scheme guy. Um, and so if you have to move on from Stefanski, and I get you can't operate as a front office with that MO, but if you do, like, as a fan... Then you worry, like, what's going to happen with Hooper? Um, I mean, we actually saw a coach last season not use Chubb the way – in, in a, an appropriate scheme. Like, Chubb is a zone running back. Mm-hmm. Chubb leads the field really well and accelerates really quickly. That's what – like, everybody's like, oh, he's a power running back. No, he's not. Like, if you're making Chubb be a power running back, you're basically dismissing two of his three greatest strengths. Um, and his strength, like his just overall physical strength is useful in any scheme. And so we had Freddie who had Nick Chubb, who was literally like based on sports info solutions, the best zone running back in the NFL last year. And it wasn't even close. Like we're talking like two extra yards per carry on still a hundred carries. Freddie just wasn't using him that way. And that to me is the danger that you get a good player and you don't make the scheme fit him. Mm hmm. And so I know we don't have that this year, and that's what I'm saying. It's a good thing, but I mean, I I'm just praying Stefanski's a good coach. Yeah, because what
0: we we really don't know real what no. he's, what he's going to be. And to to circle back to something we were talking about earlier with the coaching hire process, the one thing I think a lot of people were concerned was was with Haslam hiring his guy to justify something he's tried to do twice before but hasn't done, and hire McDaniel's, but. I think that people completely forgot that Dee Podesta wanted to hire Stefanski last year, and they went to yeah. Freddie Kitchens instead. So I yeah. think the, the fact that whether or not people want to agree with it or not, um, him hiring Stefanski is a little bit of justifying an earlier decision.
1: Yeah, well, and like again, to be fair to Dee Podesta, everybody's like, oh, Dee Podesta liked the coaches that have turned out the best in every hire. That's 100% true. I don't think that's because Dee Podesta is a genius. I think it's because of what we have with kind of basic coaching models. Like, I have them on my computer. Anybody can kind of find them. We know what makes coaches successful. Like, we know what, co- like, Hugh Jackson was a really bad hire from an analytics standpoint because he was a head coach once and had an offensive collapsed halfway through the season. And then in Cincinnati, he proved he was a scheme coach. Um, and not even with a great, really unique scheme what we know is coaches with unique schemes who are young, who've been with an organization for a long time. And I've kind of said this tend to be better Um, on the defensive end of the ball. You want a coach that uses kind of mixed coverages and those guys generally tend to become better head coaches. Um, So that's like the Sean McDermott hire. Mm -hmm. What he was arguing wasn't crazy. And again, I fundamentally believe McDaniels was heavily considered by everybody like I think McDaniels was a fit analytically um I think there were guys that weren't so Dable was one I think the Mo Salah stuff was way over or not Mo Salah what's his first name uh Robert, Robert um, you're confusing the him with, uh... get, yeah Liverpool <laughs> um I think that was kind of blown out of the water like that didn't make sense to me I mean that would be like hiring Steve Wilkes to be your coach I mean I wasn't
0: uh, I wasn't big on Robert Salah anyways because everyone's like looking at me he's hyping his players up i'm like that's great in college that's not great in the nfl yeah, the, yeah. You, you want the hype man in college you want you know the guy um, pj fleck at minnesota row the
1: boat that right. guy right. great
0: energy yeah. doesn't work in the yeah. nfl people yeah. get tired I, of that so quick yeah
1: yeah and again so like i think where i'm at least i feel like i may be more positive than you it's like i'm really inclined to listen to a lot of this analytics stuff because i understand what they're doing with the numbers and i think they're doing th- like what the people say like, Oh, it's the PFF front office. I don't think that's really true because they're doing a lot of like PFF would not advocate for a coach that runs the ball more than he passes. Um, that's just not something they would do knowingly mm-hmm. anyways. And I, I think the Browns are doing kind of like more of the modeling stuff that I have. So like, I have an article on real Browns fans about the effect of outside zone on offensive efficiency. And My guess is they're looking at kind of the same data I am, probably more of it that leads them in kind of with more detailed opinions, more confidence in their tests. But, like, I'm pretty confident in what they're doing. I feel pretty comfortable with what they're doing. Again, defense is going to be bad. And I think the front office also would admit that it didn't matter. Like, they could have kept Joe Schobert, They could have signed Jadavian Clowney on top of every other move they made. Defense still probably was not going to be that good.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. And and something you mentioned just right there. And this is something I want to, I guess, uh, touch on right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Towards towards the latter end of this, it's it's the the pro football focus stuff, the analytical <laughs> information, the advanced statistics. It, I like this information. I dislike when it's used improperly, or you know yeah. when people use it in the wrong context.
1: Is somebody that teaches college stats? You can only if you're frustrated by it. Imagine like how frustrated I get. Like I want to drive my head through a wall.
0: <laughs> I mean, the I think Pro Football Focus does a good job of providing information. I do think they have from time to time an issue with posting certain grades, certain numbers. That if you watch the players, you're like, there's no way in hell that this guy's one of the best players at this position. But if, right. according to them, he grades out at this. I love Nick Chubb; I really do. He is not the best running back in all of football.
1: So what PFF and what they try to say sometimes, but they don't say super well, is what their stats show is a player in his role mm-hmm. is the best given that role. Um, I think how they grade running backs is not necessarily correct. I also. Like would tell you because I I know some of the guys at PFF. I read everything they write. I listen to their podcasts and everything. They've been very upfront that they're modeling. So their modeling is different than their grades. Their grades are given by somebody that watches every play, calculates the totals, and then throws a grade at it. It, 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 Never mind the grades. I think the grades are very frequently misused. I don't think they're super useful. Their modeling end of it, I think is a little bit better. Like where they do kind of more of the actual stats stuff Mm -hmm. is a little bit better, but like there's just confusion about how PFF should be used. Right. So I think when they show like a graphic, like Denzel Ward with the most forced incompletions in the NFL, that's a perfectly reasonable graphic, right? That makes sense. There's, There's no like nothing you need to think about there. There's nothing behind the numbers, right? That, Denzel Ward, uh, in terms of percentage of passes thrown at him, forces incompletions more than any cornerback in the NFL. That's awesome. That's really great for Browns fans. Mm -hmm. I think where people misunderstand PFF, and this is partly PFF's own doing, but then drastically misunderstand how this front office is operating, is that PFF likes to say, like, oh, here's our draft guide, and we used analytics to decide where we rank these prospects. Well, no, that's not really what you did. Like, that's not really what you did, because if that's really what you did, there'd be certain players that had a ton of production that just were not ranked. Like, Bradley and I, like, so who the Cowboys drafted, Mm -hmm. if you look at Bradley and I's college production at, like, a good school, he should have been one of the top three defensive ends on PFF Sport. And he wasn't, because at the end of the day, they still do, like, have these guys watching film, too, to... Create these grades. And so I think that's PFF salt. I do think this Browns front office is analytically friendly, but what they mean when they say analytics is regression. Um, and so I talked about this a little bit in another article for real Browns fans, but like regression, it's just modeling, right? It's taking data you have and using it to project data you don't. So it's very Bayesian, which means like you have data from last year and from this year. And you can use that to predict the data you don't have, which is next year. Um, and But what I also think people don't understand is when PFF says, oh, well, we know that passing the football leads to more wins than running the football. Well, you know that, but you know that with a large standard error, right? So a large, yeah. like, okay, I could be wrong here. Um, and that's like a lot of their... It's variance, and I think PF. I guess what I'm trying to get at is I think the Browns front office has very much acknowledged variance is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think PFF has.
0: Uh, I and, don't, and one of my main issues I, I have with them is it seems like a lot of the people, whether it's a lot of people that work for them, I don't know any of the top of my names. I don't follow any of them because mm-hmm. their mentions are complete nightmares at all times, yeah. <clears throat> is they put out some sort of um, number or grade or a statistic, and if you find if you find some other bit of information or you just don't necessarily agree with that, they act like what they've presented is the be all end all, and everything else is wrong. And right. not everyone there does that. There are just select few that do, and it's just it's very. Um, as someone who uh, appreciates the information analytics, I mean, I'm a big baseball guy. So yeah, right, right in my wheelhouse. It's just, sometimes it seems the information doesn't necessarily translate all that well to football.
1: Yeah. I, so football, what makes it hard. So in baseball, what made analytics honestly easy is that you did not have a bunch of players playing and doing things at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was very controlled. Like, a pitch to a hit is one thing happening between two players. When you even talk about fielding, you're still not adding many. Like, the ball goes to one spot. So if it goes to left, the back of left field, the right fielder doesn't matter on that play. You do not need to consider anything the right fielder is doing. And that makes it really easy to kind of evaluate. football, you have 22 guys on the court at the same time, all doing things that impact the play. Um, and again, what that leads to is variance, right? Yes. And so the best thing the Browns are doing, and like this is what they have said over and over and over again, is that we are just using, gaining more information. We're not making decisions based off more information. We're make, make, making them based on the totality of information that we have. Um, and I think that is, I like that. I, I One of the issues I had with the John Dorsey front office, was he brought in guys who had a type right like John Dorsey loved athletes and Elliot Wolf loved athletes you knew they were going to draft athletes no matter what yeah um and like that's great and it is useful in a lot of ways to like have that but it also means you end up drafting guys that aren't that good like Canada you just Thomas. Chad Thomas is it, no, that's perfect. Austin Corbett is another guy. Um, I mean, this whole past draft, like Greedy Williams, I really liked because of his coverage skills. The reason Greedy Williams went in the second round had nothing to do with his tackling, it's that he was so raw, everybody knew he wasn't going to be ready last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just like they brought him in and he lost the camp battle to Terrence Mitchell. And then Freddie basically, or not Freddie, uh, Dorsey went and said, No, Greedy's our starter. Well. Like greedy wasn't ready to start, yeah. And so you, he ends up drafting a lot of those guys that are great athletes, and sometimes it works, right? Pat Mahomes. Um, but the it's just not using all the information at your disposal, and I think this new front office is doing that, and I really like that. But I think they're honest about what they don't know, right? Jor- Pff had Jordan Elliott ranked as a first round gr- at a first round grade. The Browns didn't take him until the end of the third round. So, like, PFF can say whatever they want. Yeah. The Browns were not listening to them when they drafted Jordan Elliott, right? They, they had Jordan Elliott ranked as a third-round defensive tackle, and they took him as a third-round defensive tackle.
0: Yeah, and, and, I, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, I mean, that was actually one of the, the draft picks that they made that I had sort of kind of a gripe with. Not because of the player, just because of the position, the players at the position that they have now, and other Mm -hmm. needs on the defense i felt that they could have taken phillips there then at 97 taken an outside linebacker such as malik harrison who went one pick later
1: yeah so i actually i i mean we can get into this if you want i think malik harrison is has bust written all over him although i think jacob phillips does too um, I mean,
0: that's just an example. I mean...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I understood. And I, I think... So the reason why I like the Jordan Elliott pick is that Larry Joby is up for a new contract next year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's worth a new contract. I think Larry Oganjobi had a few good games one season and is not a good defensive tackle. And he's your three-tech. Yeah. Like, Sheldon Richardson's not a three-tech. And so you are going to need somebody to start at three-tech next year. And defensive tackle is one of those positions where they don't really play that well their first seasons. So I kind of view it as a filling a hole before the hole emerges type pick. Yeah, I think Jacob Phillips is probably Larry Ogunjobi. I I don't think he's substantially different. Um, And that's fine. You replaced him. Yeah.
0: You know, know, Uh, from a a long-term perspective, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get it, but... For, you know, just looking at where the defense was, the players that were available and a a way they could have attempted to fill a position group they completely ignored in free agency outside of B.J. Goodson, who's another replaceable level player. It Uh, would have been nice to see them try and be like, hey, we're doing something proactive to fix this position. Yeah,
1: I mean, there were so from what I have just from like reading news articles and stuff. The linebacker the Bengals drafted, I always forget his name, but everybody had him pegged as, like, the next Joe Showbert. Uh, King um, Davis Gaither? No, not Davis Gaither. Uh, Logan Wilson. Yes, Logan that Baldwin. one. Um, I, from everything i read, like, the guys on Lockdown Browns were saying this, and, and I think it's fair. I think the Browns had him as the linebacker they wanted. I think he went way before they thought he would. And, like, that's fine, right? Like, you weren't going to take joe Schobert's replacement instead of grant delpit who again like grant delpit is going to be a good nfl safety i don't know that he'll be good at nfl safety in year one but he'll be a good nfl safety um and you had nobody there and so i get like why you don't do it then i think again they just kind of were like he'll be there in round three and the Bengals had him as a second round grade mm-hmm. and so then the browns were kind of like well what do we do I, so i'll disagree with you on bj goodson i actually kind of like bj goodson because I think he does exactly what this defense is gonna ask. He is going to be a healthy version of Christian Kirksey.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean he's gonna he's gonna fill a role, he's gonna do something he's gonna do something. You know, yeah. hopefully do something. It's just you know, when yeah. you when you're looking at you know, the moves they've made on the offensive side of the ball, it's like fireworks. Awesome. You look at the you know, the defense and you're getting like the price is right Fail horn.
1: Yeah, well, I actually have bigger problems later on. Like there was guys uh, like so like Bryce Hall out of Virginia is literally designed to be a the a stud zone cornerback mm-hmm. like that, and we need that right because in this scheme or in any scheme, Bill, really, you have Denzel Ward who's going to be good, but also probably playing more of a man coverage role. You need a cornerback that can play in zone. Like no matter what you're doing, even in Greg Williams' defense, you need somebody that can do zone, and. I like we still don't have that and instead you took a both on their faces two players that really like I like Harrison Bryant a lot. I thought he was going to go much higher than he did and I thought Nick Harris was going to go much higher than he did. Like I thought Nick Harris was a second round level center. Um, so I have no issue with the players they drafted. I don't know why they drafted guys that are going to be backups for at least one year probably for two years instead of taking a guy that would be contributing probably even a little bit in year one. Um, so, like, I think I see where you're coming from with those picks.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the, the whole Harrison Bryant thing, just that's a whole other, um, you know, situation entirely. I mean, it depends on how you feel about, one, David Njoku, but... I don't think his job is safe. If you ask, if you're asking well, me, so
1: what was so weird to me is that, like, I think David Njoku is a replacement level tight end who's a phenomenal athlete. Thank you. Um, I think he's a <laughs> replacement level tight end who's a phenomenal athlete. I, I don't know why they picked up his fifth year option. Uh... Because he's going to get paid a lot of money. Like you're not like everybody's like, oh, you'll be able to trade him. He's going to get paid like a top ten tight end next season. Or you, you, nobody's going to trade for that. And you can't cut on. So, or I mean, you can, it'll just hit your cap. So, I, I thought drafting Harrison Bryant meant they're going to decline his fifth year option. And then they picked it up, and I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah, That's... it's
0: the, the way they've handled the tight end position is very confusing, honestly, yeah. because then they say David a joke is an integral part of our, our offense. I'm like, are you sure? Because you, know you made role... Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end, and you drafted Harrison Bryant, who won the Mackey Award. So it doesn't really seem like you're all and, and that high on
1: Najoku. I'm going to be honest with you. In terms of a zone-blocking offense, I think Bryant may be better than Najoku on day one. Well, Najoku can't Hoopers.
0: block, so
1: <laughs> that's, that's problem well, one.
0: Uh, Bryant yeah. was least an offensive lineman in high school, so he has that skill set already. Block.
1: Bryant's a good blocker. I, I think where Bryant's going to struggle is on any routes where he has to go more vertical. Um, I think he's going to struggle in year one. But you have Hooper that can do that. Yeah, so make um,
0: Harrison Bryant the guy that catches those three-yard passes.
1: And, and blocks. And I think that's going to be – like I don't know where Najoku fits in. And part of what I don't know is are they trying to trade him? Like did they pick up that option? Are they kind of like saying all the nice things, trying to get something for him? Hey, actually, I just I, don't think he's that good.
0: A lot of Browns fans seem to just um, remember what who he was in college and his – reputation as a first round draft pick and it seems like they're not able to separate what he was versus what he is correct
1: no 100 percent. i mean he is a phenomenal athlete and he's a good route runner he does not have good hands he's not a great pass catcher and he's a horrendous blocker so what the hell are they doing i i don't know i mean that (laughs) that's where i'm confused right in. I'm sure there's rationale for it. Like I get you want to have three tight ends. You might as well. Like if you can't get anything for them, it's better to have them than not have them. Like you're not going to cut them. But just from a roster management standpoint, the fifth year option thing seems weird to me. Like miles Garrett. I totally get right. Miles Garrett's going to be worth what he gets paid in that fifth year option anyways. And you're going to sign him in a new contract. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, Najoku is not going to be worth what he gets paid. Like I, Najoku's guy, I could see getting one or two more teams and then being out of the NFL. Like this idea that he was in Freddy's doghouse which is why he wasn't playing. I think I mean Demetrius Harris wasn't that good. Neither was uh, the guy that got it from the Cardinals, uh, Ricky Seals-Jones. But yeah. like I don't know that they were substantially worse than Najoku. I don't.
0: I I think I think people remember some some highlight plays that he had in Baker's rookie year. Mm-hmm. Um cuz he had a couple. He did. Um, he did, including him trying to dive in from 5 yards out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That was fun. Right. No.
0: But but evaluating him as an actual tight end, it's like I can't see where he fits with everyone else. Now, in, in an ideal world, somebody like uh Stephen Carlson or Farrell Brown shouldn't prevent um someone being on the roster. But right. the reality is, is those two guys actually play the tight end position better than David right. Njoku is. Right. And right. I just, I'm having a hard time grasping where he's going to, what his future is. Because if I don't, trading him really doesn't make sense because he has no value. Right. Perhaps saying that they wanted to keep him and he's going to be this part of the offense is a way to artificially inflate value that's not there.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I got like – so the reason I would get the fifth-year option is if he was going to be a featured part of this offense and you basically raise his value throughout the season, either trade him midseason or trade him next summer. But I just – and I guess that's probably what they're trying to do. I just I, – I don't know what you're losing by having him as a critical part of the offense. And if you're not going to have him as a critical part of the offense, you shouldn't pick up the option. It
0: it just seems a very curious way to to handle the tight end position and uh, a, a player you mentioned while we were paused for a second, former Browns tight end Darren Fells. Hmm. Every single time he caught one of his what twelve passes he caught this year, it was yep. a complete Browns meltdown on
1: Twitter.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: how yep. many how many passes did Mister Darren Fells catch from Deshaun Watson?
1: Who it was, was really, he was like their end zone guy. And I think he had like one long downfield pass because he just wasn't covered. Nobody thought the big tight end was just going to run straight down the field. But I think it, there wasn't a lot, and they were mainly touchdowns.
0: Okay, so he, he actually had 34 catches. Surprising. Okay. I remember a we're third of them. tight end. That's pretty good. And seven touchdowns.
1: He, yeah, that seems about right.
0: Uh, coming into this season, he had, let's see, 68 career catches. And about eight hundred thirty yards and ten yeah. touchdowns.
1: Yeah, so he was really productive this season.
0: He was productive, but th- that is probably the peak of Darren Fells, thirty-three yeah, I mean, year old team. Darren Fells. Yeah.
1: yeah, he's been in the league for a long time for one reason, which is that he's a phenomenal blocker. Like Darren Fells can block like no other. Um, but like yeah, I don't. I never got what Dorsey was doing with the tight end room, like, ever. From year one and year two, like, I, it just didn't make sense to me. This makes more, like, the Hooper signing makes sense to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Drafting Bryant, regardless of, like, how I feel about what else you could have had there, makes sense to me. Najoku just doesn't.
0: Yeah, I, I like the Bryant pick because I I thought we were finding there was a, you know, a path at the end of the tunnel or a definite end date for trying to keep making Njoku work because he right. simply hasn't overall. Right. And I'm like, okay, we we have an out here. I thought they were providing themselves an out with Njoku. I thought this was very, going to be very just, you could see everything coming. And I thought what it was going to be is that they were going to decline the option. Bryant was going to outperform him in preseason, then they cut him or trade him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I, that's kind of what i thought was about to happen too um but like it, i got if you were gonna pick up the fifth year option and you didn't draft a tight end i would get that right because you never know how you're going to be able to fill a position and so that would have made sense to me but like you drafted a guy that is going to be a better fit for this scheme than david njoku very early on in his career and david njoku may be better just because he's played in the NFL more but if you're talking about a guy that's really like the second tight end I don't like I don't know that it's worth paying to joke what they're about to pay him even for a year
0: it's not at the end of the day it's not uh he should probably you know from just a, a salary earning perspective from the team's perspective a team should be paying someone with the production and skill set of Najoku, essentially what they're paying Richard Higgins right now, which is the veteran's minimum.
1: Yep. Yeah, I... So, right, and, like, I guess going back to the Higgins thing a little bit in this front office, I think they've done, overall, a really good job at si- grabbing value with these contracts. So, for example, somebody like Austin Hooper's really highly paid right now, next year, he's not going to... Like, after Kittle and Kelsey get their new contracts hooper it's going to be I, I think fair market value like i think hooper is probably a top 10 tight end in the nfl uh he definitely is in this blocking scheme so you may overpay him a little bit if he's the 10th best tight end you're paying him like the third best isn't an overpay yeah but not by a, a, such a substantial amount that it should we, like worry you. and i think overall they've done a, like conklin's deal was i don't know how they got him for that little like conklin should have gotten paid much more um and so, I, like I'm good with a lot of those signings. All the I love the one year contracts on defense because if they're great, you can re-sign them. If not, compensatory picks. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I think that's really smart. And they weren't signing any like what, like if Jadavian Clowney was signed, I would hope it would be for more than one season. But like these guys, like Carl Joseph, Andrew Billings, like they're good. They're fine. Yeah. they're not long term pieces. I don't think so and if they show that they are, then you sign them in a new deal. Yeah
0: and I, mean, I understand that you know uh, compensatory picks are the way that you know two teams in our division, uh, Baltimore and Pittsburgh and you know the best franchise ever, New England has ran their yep. everything forever.' So that's the how they, do it a lot. That's like, how they just keep the system going. It's compensatory picks and the Browns never get to the point where a compensatory pick is even considered. Uh, right. From from a long-term roster-building standpoint, I guess, the, the fact that they don't have uh, you know one guy that was maybe a key defensive signing is a, a bit concerning from, I guess, sure. the way I see it. Because the best teams have a, a little amount of turnover in regards to their key players. And guys like Carl Joseph, Kevin Johnson, potentially... And maybe even someone like Andrew Billings will probably play a fairly sizable role. And when they leave after the year, you're going to have to find yourself replacing a key player. And it's the key player turnover where where issues exist for teams. Yeah. It's, it's the smaller players, someone yeah. like an Adrian Claiborne right. or an Andrew Sandejo, where you can live with
2: it.
1: Yeah. Well, and so I think, like, going back to the Jordan Elliott pick really quickly— I think the reason they drafted him is they're going to lose two defensive tackles this summer, right? Ogan Joby and Billings. I, I think Ogan Joby's definitely gone. I think Billings is probably gone after this season. Um, and so like I get defensive tackles a future hole. I think the Delpit draft pick was, I thought we had a draft of safety because it's such an important position. and We had nobody. Um, Delpit very much probably is a starter day one, but even if not, he replaces whoever leaves this off season. Mm -hmm. and so i like that i i the that slot corner spot scares the living daylights out of me um i just i like it's so important and there's just i mean kevin johnson's great in the slot but that means he has to stay healthy because the second he's not healthy if denzel ward or greedy is also hurt then you can't play nickel anymore so then you're in base and if you think the defense is going to be bad in nickel Wait until they have to play in base defense. <laughs> Let's I, I see mean, see all
0: those non-investments in the linebacker group show up.
1: I actually think what it would, would the more likely world would be they would add a fifth defensive lineman and Oof. just try to rush the passer. O- I, because o- five-two action. Yeah, because like, who are you gonna? What? I mean, are you gonna put Taki Taki out there? Like, maybe, maybe he looks really good this year. Are you gonna put Jacob Phillips, who couldn't defend the pass in college? Like,
0: I mean, one of those guys, I imagine, is gonna see some form of play
1: time. Yeah, they're, they're all gonna play, right? You're gonna have four linebackers that see see the field this year, but like, if you if you have two injuries to that secondary, I mean, yeah, they've got to consider five two and like have honestly have Miles Garrett is the guy that may have to go like cover a tight end. I mean, I know that sucks. I know that sounds like crazy, but there is not depth in that secondary in that cornerback room.
0: I mean, you, I mean, you can argue just one injury and in they're in their and toast. Honestly, yeah. and and yeah. it's such a fragile defensive group overall. Yeah. And their secondary just seems to be their the spot where they're most fragile. Yeah. Followed by linebacker. Then I'd probably say edge rusher after that yeah. before interior linemen, because yeah. as we saw just with last season, just the you know the Miles Garrett suspension. Yeah. Um, they went from being not
1: great to pitiful (laughs) yeah i actually thought the line last year did its job as well as it could have um like olivier vernon gets a lot of people going after him and like i get it to a certain extent because i think browns fans had an inflated view of the player they were getting but like olivier vernon was phenomenal in the run game last year Mm -hmm. um We didn't get beat on screens as frequently because he was also really good at defending screens. Yeah. Is he a good – is he like a stud? No, but like I think he's a fine player. I think Garrett got hurt and then the whole thing just – I also think you were relying on – you thought Larry Ogunjobi was going to be this pass-rushing defensive tackle and he just wasn't.
0: Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they changed uh, the way they wanted him to play and how he had his body composition last year. Yeah, they did. So that that's also an issue. So if they they kind of revert back to where he was before, which smart front office would be like, okay, you were good when you were doing this, and you were, you know, built this way. Go back to that. I think that would be a a, a wise move.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess like if you're Larry Ogunjobi too, you got to think of where how are you going to get the most value out of your body and your career in the NFL. Um, I think for me, it's that he's a specialist. He's not a starter, and if he's a specialist, then you probably want to have kind of a leaner frame, where you can kind of be a guy they bring in on pass rushing downs. Um, but yeah I don't know. I, I just I think Billings is going to be the starting defensive tackle. I think mean, it's going to be Billings and Richardson. I, I don't know that Ogonjobi sees the field much this season. Hmm. Interesting. I just I but I guess back to like I don't know what I mean the defense if it stays healthy I think the scheme is a perfect fit for a lot of these guys and I think it could be not good but like 20th 21st which if the offense clicks like I think it will will be enough to make the playoffs it's certainly possible but if that defense gets hurt then you're in trouble.
0: Definitely. Um, I wanted to uh, pick your brain about a couple potential additions that they could make. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, we're recording uh, on Tuesday, so things could change by the time that this gets released. But at, at the current time, Jadavian Clowney is currently a free agent. Hmm. Um, what is your interest level in acquiring Jadavian Clowney?
1: And what would your concerns be? So I actually think Jadavian Clowney is weirdly like undervalued and not overall but for his position he is he a pure edge rusher definitely not if you want to sign him to be a pure edge rusher it's not the right move but Jadavian Clowney's guy you can play on any spot along the defensive line and use him as a guy that attacks weaknesses and he does that probably better than any defensive like edge based lineman in the NFL um because like you're not gonna really put Miles Garrett or Khalil Mack at defensive tackle and you can do it with Jadavian Clowney. So I really like that. If you want to talk to me about signing Jadavian Clowney on a one to two year deal, or maybe even a three year deal, I, I'm here for it because he provides that value. My problem is, uh, who do you who would you rather have? Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney? I'd rather really have like Miles Garrett. Right. Who would you rather have Nick Chubb or Jadavian Clowney?
0: That one you can debate, but currently right. it's it's it, I'd probably lean towards Nick Chubb.
1: Right, and so then okay, and so then the third one I think for me I have an answer that may be unpopular. Who would you rather have, Denzel Ward or Jadavion Clowney? And,
2: that and one's, remember,
1: it's that the one's contract a cut because Denzel Ward's going to get paid like a cornerback. So Denzel Ward is probably going to get ten to twelve million a year. Jadavion Clowney's going to get twenty. So would you rather have Jadavion Clowney twenty million a year, or Denzel Ward at ten to twelve?
0: And that's that's that one's a toss-up because we, we don't know. I mean, we've seen Denzel Ward play well, yeah, but first two seasons
1: injury buck. right? And like, but, so like but Clanny you have to make decision injuries. now, right? So you need to make right. The Browns are if they're negotiating with him now, who would you rather have? And for me, I actually the answer is pretty easy. like I, I have more faith in Denzel Ward at that contract value than I do with Clown with Clowney, at eighteen to twenty million a year. And I um, agree. And so, so for me, Jadavian Conley is a really good player. He's better than Vernon, for sure. Um, and he would help the defense pretty significantly. But it's a question about what value you're signing him to. I think edge rushers tend to be way overvalued for what they provide actually provide on a snap-by-snap basis. And I think the easiest way to cap your team out is to invest in edge rush. is And... Like, advance, invest more than you otherwise should in defensive line, really, in general. So, are you going to pay Miles Garrett? I think they have to. Are you going to keep Sheldon Richardson this year, next year? Yeah, again, I think you kind of have to. Like, he's a good player. I don't know that I want to be paying Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, and Jadavian Clowney big contracts next season. And
0: that's a very fair point. And the concern. It always comes with clowny is, is the injury history. Right. Because right. uh, he's seemingly always hurt, and it's his knees. And if an edge yeah. rusher or you know, a defensive end doesn't have his knees, he's got nothing.
1: I mean, and so I guess this is where I also have a more optimistic view of Denzel Ward. He had two con- He really, it was arguably one concussion, but they, they marked it as two concussions last year, or two years ago. Um, but last year, his injury was totally different. It was a hamstring. Mm-hmm. Like, these are injuries that don't necessarily, de- like, They're they don't connected. make you worry about future injuries. Right. And he was pretty healthy in college. I-, I think Denzel Ward probably has gotten unlucky his first two years more than, he was a bad tackler his first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got much better at that last year. Um, so I'm kind of optimistic about that. I'm not optimistic about Clowney. It's like Todd Gurley. Like, when it's the knees, man, you only yeah. have a limited number of time.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that. Uh, and for in case you were wondering, uh, I don't know if there's any stock worth putting in this particular website, but it's called sportsinjurypredictor.com. Okay. Uh, Jadavian Clowney has a 55% chance of injury in 2020 and okay. it's expected to miss one and a half games. Okay. So,
1: I mean, I don't know it's how reliable excited.
0: it is. It's just, it's an interesting website.
1: Yeah. I mean, that seems fair to me. Like, just thinking about it logically, that seems fair. But again, that one and a half games, that doesn't mean it's one to two games. That could mean zero to six games, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so, that's scary. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's definitely a concern yeah. when it comes to, I, to Clowney.
1: I think Clowney is underrated for what he does. I worry that he is at a position group that is very overvalued.
0: Yeah. And speaking of a position group that's very overvalued. Same position group. This would be a trade. This wouldn't be a, a signing. Yannick Ngakwe. What is your interest level in him?
1: Um, actually, probably substantially less than it is on Jadavian Clowney. Because while I think Ngakwe is a better player, he's going to cost more, and he you're going to have to sign him beyond this year, which means all of a sudden you could be paying that defensive line. I mean, you could. It, that could be the most expensive defensive line in the NFL, and then you're capped out. And then all of a sudden, you probably need to cut, move on from Chubb, Ward, or uh, or Baker. Like you're gonna have to move away from one of those three plus one of the receivers, if not both.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I just Clowney, I think you could get for one year or, or two years. Yeah. Um, I don't think Ngakwe is gonna settle for that.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. There's just you know something that that popped up, and
1: he listen. Know, he's a, a good player. Back. He would help the team. He would help the team. He's a great player, but I just I don't know at what cost is he helping the team.
0: I mean, he he would cost a lot to get, and he would cost a lot to pay. And you know, speaking from the perspective of we we can almost with some certainty within the next couple of years, say that one, if not both, the receivers of Landry and Beckham are not here, to Agreed. some level of certainty. So Agreed. At, at some point that money has to be invested in one way or another, which is why I, I asked in these particular cases about, you know, mm-hmm. one about Clowney and this one about Ngakwe, because if you're if you're taking the money out from one of those receivers, it could be invested in in Gokwe I think a lot of people look at the cap number and how much money they have available and and think that that's all the money that's there I'm like okay well how about we look at the money that we have invested in a position group that we shouldn't be or a player that we're probably not going to keep for that much longer where can that money be applied And I think that would be a situation where they could do that not that I would
1: but so, right. So then you do that and then you need to probably replace both receivers. Um, and so like, that's why I would have been in favor of if a guy like LaVisca Chanel was there at 41,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I would have been in favor of taking him at 41 because he's a guy that's going to be in the NFL for a long time. because He has a skill set that he'll be able to contribute day one and where he needs to improve his route running. And once he get, improves there, then all of a sudden he's a uh, probably an X receiver. Um, he wasn't there, right? And so they didn't take yeah. him. But eventually, you're going to need to fill those holes in the receiver room. And to me, drafting Donovan Peoples Jones, who feels more like an Antonio Callaway replacement than a anybody that's going to eventually replace Odell or Jarvis, it just to me doesn't seem like they're investing. They're they're even thinking about moving away from those two guys.
0: Not immediately. Just, this is more of like yeah. a future down yeah. the road, two years yeah. from now type of.
1: Well, and again, like you get LaVisca Chenault in the second round, or if they had done something like draft C.D. Lamb at 10, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I would be totally in favor of a Yannick Ngakwe deal. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. And so I think Ngakwe Yng- before the draft made more sense than he does now.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Because I remember I had, a, I had some back and forth about Ngakwe a while back, and the person was not very... Um, into the whole Ngakwe thing, and I'm like, he's a good player. I don't care what you uh, are looking for. And this is actually, we'll, we'll touch on uh, analytical information one last time before we wrap mm-hmm. this up here. This because mm-hmm. this is one of the uh, the things I, I really got into it with someone with, and it was about Ngakwe and uh, his performance versus uh, someone like Emmanuel Ogba, mm-hmm. and the problem was the. According to... I don't remember what statistic it was, but Ogba uh, was outperforming Ngakwe in some sort of pass-rushing number. But the problem is that Ogbo saw the field barely compared to Ngakwe playing every single snap. Right. Or such a high volume of snaps. So it was very clear and apparent that Ogbo was a role player or some sort of pass-rushing yeah. specialist where Ngakwe was on the field for three all you know three downs. Right. And sometimes with defense such as players like Agba or recent recently signed player, Adrian Claiborne, Mm -hmm. if they're only on the field for maybe one or two plays, instead of someone who's there for all three plays. So someone like an Ngakwe or maybe miles Garrett, it can give you numbers that are misleading.
1: Yeah, no. And I agree with that. And I think any serious person who like, who even like real like analytics guys, like the Browns front office now would tell you, they agree with you too. Um, I think Claiborne for a pass-rushing specialist defensive end is a great signing. I was very big uh, on that one. Yeah, I think that's a great signing. I think Emmanuel Ogba for a quote-unquote sealing-the-edge defensive end is a great— like, that's a great specialist. Um, Ngakwe does things that Ogba and Claiborne can't do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I actually think Vernon does things that Ogba and Claiborne can't do. And I I think Vernon is kind of, again, just expectations because we traded for him and then Dorsey said we got a pass rusher to put next to Miles Garrett. Vernon's never been a pass rusher. Vernon is a very much like he's the guy that's going to stop the run and if he has a good defensive tackle next to him, we'll get you a few sacks.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, that's what he is. And I think expectations weren't fair. I, I think people also are, willing to throw Vernon to the Wolves without any sort of replacement.
0: Absolutely. They, they really are. And I think that the fact that they got the quote-unquote bookend pass rushers, it, it raised the expectation level for Vernon because he's playing opposite yep. of Miles Garrett. And, I mean, people like to, I guess, get very into the concept of bookend pass rushers. And yep, it doesn't always work out
1: that way. No. No. I mean, it, it, again, uh, pass rush at the elite level, an elite, elite pass rusher, is going to be directly affecting the play probably 35 times a season. Mm-hmm. That's the elite of the elite. Indirectly they affect the play in many ways, but directly you're talking 35. If you include just basic run stops, numbers probably close to 60. I don't know that that is enough to pay these guys twenty million a year. Um, like you got, you have to pay your quarterback, you have to pay your receivers, you have to pay your cornerbacks, you have to pay your running backs, like you have to pay your offensive line. I, I don't know that. Like I don't know why you would pay an edge rusher more than a left or right tackle. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, some people just... I did. mean, it's unpopular it,
1: opinion. I acknowledge that, but... Left is not
0: a sexy position while a defensive right. end
1: is. Yeah, no, and I get, I'm sure that's kind of what it boils down to. Um, but, like, I have no idea why the Browns let that line they had in 2014, like, with Mack and Mitchell Schwartz and Joe Thomas and even, like, Greco. Like that that one line was, was solid. Yeah, no, that line was great, and they just didn't want to pay Mack, and they didn't want to pay Mitchell Schwartz. It, that was
0: just some big-time mismanagement from people that yeah. really didn't know what they were doing.
1: I also think, like, if you ever, like... I, I, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. My view with offensive line is, individually, offensive linemen don't have a ton of value, but when you get five really good, like, solid to really good offensive linemen, there's, like, just this boost that comes just from having five together, like, on top of each of what they individually contribute. Um, And so, I, I just... I'm not... Like The thing about Ngakwe and Clowney to me is I, I just don't know they're going to be worth it they get paid as soon as you have to pay Miles Garrett.
0: Clowney, no. Ngakwe, an argument can be made.
1: Agreed. Agreed. But, you,
0: but I don't know if the argument will win.
1: Right. Like, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I mean, again, I think kind of to sum up my view, I think the Browns are going to be vastly improved this year. Because I don't think the defense could be much worse than it was last year. I think it could be about the same level. Um, and I think the offense is going to be much better. But people don't realize how bad the Browns were last year. They, um, they were bad. They were really bad. And so I think going 8-8 eight and eight this year would, and like looking good and being fun would be a great outcome. I know people don't want to hear it. But like I have a rough model that I have right now. And... I have the Browns. I think I said this earlier, like six and ten to twelve and four.
0: I think you know, just I'm not particularly high on this the, this Brown season, not because of the the players, just because of everything. All the small things added together is just going to be a lot for yeah. for a team like them to climb. They're the yeah. they have the second highest, I think, projected win total for teams with new coaches. The only one being higher is Dallas. The difference between Dallas is that's a team that's actually won a division before with those players and on their roster, yeah, and they have and, a coach who's done it before.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a different situation. I, whenever you bring in a coach that's never done it before, you're adding variance to outcomes. Um, and like people can say whatever they want. Like Freddie was an idiot. Stefanski really smart. Stefanski runs a scheme better fitted to the players. Freddie we thought would and didn't like I now. We don't know what Stefanski's going to do. What if Stefanski comes in and says, you know, I had to deal with Kubiak last year, but I'm actually a vertical passing guy?
0: Yeah. We, I mean, we, we don't know what he's going to do, really. Right.
1: I mean. Right. What if he's like Eric Mangini and the ro- roster hates him? Like, you just <laughs> don't know. You don't know these things.
0: I mean, those are all just variables that we don't know. And it's something exactly. that, um, to tie a, little, tie a little bow on this conversation analytics
1: can't put a number on well they can it just it does it with a lot of uncertainty oh, I meant right? the personality oh right well i even but like i think that's included within coaching variants right like you know that's a possibility right it, and i think the browns would admit this to you in their front office like they know that's a possibility like they do they, they know that it's possible His personality sucks and you get as much information as you can you interview as many former players as you can and then you make that decision, but like it's variance, right? New coaches add variance and the Browns know this. Yes. They're not, they know this and they know why they had variance. And I think to your point, right, you can't quantify like leadership ability, yes. but you know, it's there and you know, it adds variance. Yeah. I mean, uh, we,
0: we know it exists. We know that there's uh, the possibility of personality or attitude having an impact. My, the only thing I was just trying to say is you can't, put, you know, say it's going to make x number of sure. impact or you know sure. this yeah, yeah, specific totally number. Fair. And you know, totally. that's just you know, I was just yeah, to totally have, have a little fun with, you know, numbers yeah, for yeah. a second.
1: To- to- totally fair, totally fair. <laughs> um yeah.
0: in in speaking with um Stefanski's hire, I'll ask you for one last opinion here. Okay. Uh in regards to the way that they they hired him and all this fun stuff. Then we'll, then we'll wrap this up. Um so as with any type of uh, hiring, everyone gets, you know, all these references and glowing reviews, and, you know, when I was thinking of every single ex-player saying, oh, they're going to love Kevin Stefanski, Oh, we love playing for him, we love having him as a coach, of course you can hear all from, all from the guys that said they love playing for him and that he's a great person. I want to hear the person that said he sucked or hear he's a dick. I want to hear the, the opposite. Because you're, yeah. any good reference, you're only going to get good references when you're making the hire. I want to hear the one that said that they didn't like him for this reason. What didn't they like?
1: I want to hear well, yeah, that I side of they, it. I think maybe they did, right? And like that just hasn't been announced publicly. But I I, I just... I am a beaten down Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> um, I have seen these new coaches come in and every which way. I've seen the analytics hire them. I've seen... The pure football guys hired them. I've seen the guys that were defensive wizards everywhere they've been. I've seen the guys that were offensive wizards they've, everywhere they've been. I've seen guys that have sucked everywhere they've been. I have seen it all. Um, and I, I just, I like Stefanski's scheme. And he seems like a smart guy. That's all I know about him. Yeah. And that's all I think really at this point is what anybody knows. I think McDaniels, Fans had a little bit more information, which is probably why fans liked him more. For the same reason I think the Browns are using analytics, right? More information is better. You feel more comfortable with it. Um, But, I I mean, I don't know. I don't know that McDaniels is actually going to be a good coach. I don't know that Stefanski is going to be a good coach. I know I like both of what they do on offense, and I know I think both are smart guys. Um, I, I just, I've seen it all. And I don't feel the way about Stefanski that I did about Freddie Kitchens. Where Freddie, like, everybody was crediting him for this offensive line improvement. And the offensive line really wasn't that much better. It was just Baker was throwing the ball quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were saying, like, oh, look at what he did with all of the running backs. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, point taken. Like, the wishbone was awesome. But, what like, is that what he's going to be like with Dontrell Hilliard? Because if so, that's not what we want. And lo and behold, that's what he was like. And everybody was like, oh, well, look at what he did with such crappy receivers. Like, okay, acknowledge. He makes crappy receivers look good. That doesn't mean he makes good receivers look good. Mm-hmm. And so there was just, I never loved that hire. I would not have loved this Stefanski hire for similar reasons. Um, but here we are. And yeah. I think right now, Given the information that we have, Stefanski seems like a good hire, and we'll learn a lot more this season.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think we will. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the hire. I hope it yep. works. You know, just yep. a, throughout the you know the hiring process, I would I would like to hear from one player just say that they didn't like him. Just because you learn just as much from the guys that hate somebody just as much as the guys that love somebody.
1: Yep. No, no, you do, and I think they could have. Like, I think that's been Greg Williams' problem, right? That Greg Williams has players that will come out and say they love playing for him. And, like, if you look at it on its face, Greg Williams should, like, he has done just as much as any assistant to be considered as a head coaching candidate. Yeah. But I think the reason he's not is you also have players that despise him. hmm And I think that that matters. Yeah, um, and we know players that don't like him. Yeah, although now, like, in hindsight, I probably would have rather had Greg Williams last year. Um, because at least like I know his scheme is not going to be atrocious.
0: It it seemed like he did a fairly decent job of keeping the fire from burning out of control. during. Yeah, I never
1: liked that. The Steve Wilkes hire to me was also one sign that I didn't think this front office knew what they were doing last year. (laughs) I mean, you hired a guy that flamed out in Arizona, like whose players in Arizona hated him. Mm hmm. And then you made him your defensive coordinator for a team not built to play zone defense. Like, to me, that was just the, the epitome of why I did not like John Dorsey, why I didn't like him in Kansas City, and why I didn't like him here. Um, he, he just, he he did things because they made him look good. Like, hiring Steve Books, right? You hired a guy. Like, Todd Monken's the same thing. And I, I bought into Todd Monken. But, like, at the end of the day, you're saying you're bringing in Freddie Kitchens, and then you're hiring an offensive coordinator that doesn't coach the same scheme. Like everybody's like, oh, Todd McNamara also does vertical passing. Well, like, yeah, but Todd McNamara an air raid coach. He's not like an Arians like eleven personnel mm-hmm. drop back guy, which is what Freddie is. Yes, um, and he was just hiring these guys to for name recognition, and, and I just. I I am more comfortable with this team. I think, like, the Conklin signing is not sexy. Your si- you're signing, it's literally a right tack. Like, it's not sexy. I think it will make a huge difference. I think out running zone more times will make a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, I And, like, I think we're going to use a lot of the pistol formation, a lot of bootleg, where Baker looked really good last year and the year before that. And so I, I'm optimistic. I just, I think I, my optimism is that I see us more towards the high end of uncertainty than the low end. But the low end's still there.
0: I, I think we'll have a more defined idea of what some certain players are. But yeah. I don't know that it's going to uh, translate necessarily to wins this season. I think mm-hmm. we could maybe even have a, a, a positive idea of who some players are. But I still see this team as one that wins five, six, seven games. Seven games, yeah, like the most for me.
1: Is the the worst world like Kyle Shanahan's first year in San Francisco, where I think they won seven games? And obviously, the second year, Jimmy G gets hurt and you can't really evaluate. But like, I think if Jimmy G doesn't get hurt that second year, they would have looked probably as good as they did this year. Um, Like, is that the worst thing in the world? I don't think so, right? Like, you get a lot of answers, you win. Seven, eight games. You, you're, you're fun to watch, and then you can evaluate and make decisions. Um, I, I don't think that's the worst world, and I know people don't want to hear that, right? Because we have Odell Beckham, and you have Miles Garrett, and you have Baker Mayfield. Like you have, but like, if the offense is a top ten offense, and we're losing games because of defense, well, then you know we problem you got to fix. Yeah, and. and I think it's easier to repair defense when it's your only hole.
0: Yeah. It's it's definitely easier when you only have to fix oh. one side of the ball compared to the you know both. Right.
1: I mean the offense was terrible last year. Like what people don't remember is that yeah, the wide receiver room was good. Uh the running back room was good. You had a quarterback that played terrible, you had no offensive line, and you had no good tight end play. So there was a lot of holes, and I think they did an adequate job. So, I'm excited, but I think I may be a little bit more optimistic than you, but not by much. Um, I, I, my guess is eight and eight is the most likely outcome. I could see the low end of that. So, like six, seven wins. I could also see the team really clicking, Baltimore being a little bit worse than expected, and the team winning 10 games and going to the playoffs. But I think eight and eight is where I'm most comfortable.
0: Okay. So, you know, just a little bit higher than what I, I think they'll be.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly exactly yeah
0: so I think that's a, a good a good spot to end on for now it was a it
1: was a lot of fun having you on for sure thanks for having me
0: yeah uh, I will definitely have you back once the football season uh, begins awesome <laughs> and, awesome you know whatever roster moves they make or adjustments or if we actually get an idea of what exactly they're doing definitely worth it,
1: it, bringing you when the season is going to be yeah That's <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>